Well, I assume that uh, most of you know who Michael Jordan is, uh, but by a quick show of hands, how many of you remember that uh, right in the middle of his career, at the top of his game, uh, Michael Jordan left basketball to go and pursue a career in Major League Baseball? Does anybody remember that? Uh, see, this, I think, betrays the fact that we've got uh, a bunch of Chicago transplants uh, here at Messiah. Uh, and if that's the case, then maybe you remember what happened back in 1993. You see, uh, see Michael Jordan has just won uh, his third straight national championship. They call it a three-peat. Uh, he's earned uh, three MVPs, and uh, a lot of sports pundits are saying that, that he is going to go on to become the best basketball player ever. And that's when, uh, on October 6th of that year, uh, Michael Jordan... Uh, announces that he is leaving the Chicago Bulls, makes this announcement on my birthday. Uh, but he's not just leaving the Chicago Bulls, he is leaving the NBA, and he's going to pursue a career in Major League Baseball, which is why uh, if you are a Chicago Bulls fan in 1993, you just about lose your mind. Now, I didn't know this uh, at the time, uh, but when Michael Jordan makes this announcement, uh, he hasn't played baseball in 15 years. See, the last time he'd uh, picked up a bat and uh, played the game, he was a junior in high school, but his dad had always wanted him to play. He'd passed away a couple months earlier in a carjacking incident, and to be fair to Michael Jordan, he admits that he was getting a little restless in the NBA. When you consider the fact uh, that he basically has no experience, he does pretty well. I mean, no one thinking that he is going to go on to become the best baseball player ever, uh, but he does uh, get a minor league contract, and he does play a season of double-A ball. But I got to wonder, I got to wonder what it was like, you know, uh, a year later, Right? What was it like to devote his entire life to basketball? To sacrifice, to put in the long hours, to do the hard work, and then to achieve the impossible, and then find himself on the other side. I mean, it's not terrible, but he's also not the best there ever was. What's that like 10, 12, 14 months later? I just wonder. You see, it's, uh, it's this story that I found myself thinking of uh, about a week ago when I first read uh, today's gospel reading. And I found myself thinking about it because today's gospel reading is, uh, is the story about what it's like on the other side of something else. Uh, not the other side of uh, the first part of your basketball career, but the other side of the resurrection. You see, uh, just like Michael Jordan is going to have a second act, right? He's going to He's going to go back to the NBA. He's going to win three more championships. He's going to earn two more MVPs. Just like Michael Jordan is going to have a second act, the disciples are going to have a second act. Jesus is going to send them out. They're going to go far and wide. They're going to tell all sorts of people about who he is and what he's done. And each and every one of us are here this morning because that happened. Just like Michael Jordan has another act, the disciples are going to have another act, but today, in our reading, we find the disciples in this in-between time. 
So they've, uh, they've devoted three years to following Jesus and all culminated a couple of weeks ago. They enter Jerusalem. They celebrate the Passover and then it happens. Jesus is arrested. He's tried. And he's put to death. Now, the good news uh, for them and the good news for us is that this isn't the final game in the championships. I mean, we know and they learn uh, that God raises Jesus from the dead. And if you're one of the disciples, this means all sorts of joy for you. Because your friend, your Lord, your master, he's no longer gone. He's no longer dead. But it also means things like confusion. I mean, how did this happen? <laughs> dead people tend to stay dead. And even more than that, it means things like guilt and shame. Especially if you're Peter, because, uh, because you denied him not once, not twice, but three times. And now that Jesus is raised, you might have to deal with some consequences because of that. And there are, uh, there are two post-resurrection encounters uh, between uh, the resurrection and the story we heard today. Uh, if you're one of the disciples, uh, the first one happens on Easter evening. Uh, you're in a locked upper room, and Thomas isn't with you. And then a week later, you find yourself back in that locked upper room. This time, Thomas is with you, but neither of those encounters clarify what's supposed to happen next. I mean, all you know, and, and all we know, because Matthew tells us, is that you're supposed to go to Galilee. And so sometime between one week and 50 days after the resurrection, if you're one of the disciples, if you're Peter, you leave Jerusalem, you head 75 miles north, and you return to the place you once called home, the place where Jesus first called you. You return to Galilee. And that's when the, the curtain rises on today's reading. And if you're Peter, you've got no idea what you're supposed to do. That's why the one thing that doesn't surprise me as today's reading begins are, are the following words. I'm going to go fishing. Because what do you do when you have no idea what you're supposed to do? You do the thing you're good at, and if you're Peter, or if you're the six other disciples in today's reading, before you were following Jesus, you were fishermen. Now, I'm, a, I'm not a fishing expert, so this past week it was news to me uh, how the, the fishing part of today's story probably unfolded. You see, uh, you see, if you're Peter, at some point in the middle of the night, you go and you find a boat and you head out onto the water, and this boat is at most 25 feet long, seven feet wide. We're talking uh, the area of about three sheets of plywood, and you've got seven disciples in all their gear and room for the fish they hope to catch. That's how big it is. They're sitting on it. You see that uh, if you're Peter, you also bring with you uh, two kinds of nets. The first kind of net, uh, it is really big. That's so big that when you lower it down into the water, it sort of forms a wall, and you would, you would use that net to, uh, to then circle around a school of fish, bring it in tighter and tighter and tighter, and essentially create what's a pool in the Sea of Galilee where the fishing is really good. And that's when you would use uh, the second set of nets that you've brought, which are much smaller, to actually go and catch the fish, and it's hard work. And so it's not uncommon in the midst of it all to get out of the boat and go into the water. 
to set the nets, to bring in the haul, to, to pack everything up at the end of the night when you've been really successful. And, and if you're Peter in today's reading, what you need to remember is that you are a professional fisherman. You're supposed to know how to do this. And, and it's at this point that it's early in the morning and you hear this voice off in the distance, friends, have you caught any fish? And it's embarrassing. I mean, you just can't seem to get things right. Back in Jerusalem, it's following Jesus. And here on the water, it's catching fish. Friends, have you caught any fish? No. The answer is no. And that's when this guy, this speck, this blurry person off in the image, off in the distance, says to you, well, throw your nets out on the other side of the boat. And so if you're wondering if this guy knows how to fish, uh, his request, his answer, uh, gives you your answer. I mean, only a crazy person would do this. You've just spent all of this time to create a pool where the fishing is really good, and now this guy is saying, throw your nets out into the open water. Only a crazy person would do this. But on this particular day, maybe you're a crazy person. You throw your nets out on the other side of the boat, and you catch so many fish that you can't bring them into the boat. It's at this point uh, that John, who is maybe sitting next to you, says, hey, it's the Lord. And if you're Peter, you you realize he's right. You jump out of the boat, you get into the water, and and you rush ashore, and there is Jesus just standing there. He's he's cooking breakfast, and what happens next is like this scene out of the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, Jesus says, bring what you have. And the other disciples, they're coming ashore, and so you bring him some fish, and he's got some loaves, and he breaks it, and you eat bread and fish together. And once again, there is joy. There's also confusion, and if you're Peter, there's also guilt and shame. See, this isn't the first time uh, that you found yourself standing over a charcoal fire. Uh, The last time you found yourself standing over a charcoal fire, the Lord wasn't there, but his name did come up. Are you one of his disciples? So the servant girl said to you, and, uh, and you answered her, not once. Not twice, but three times. Are you one of his disciples? I am not. And now here's Jesus. He's standing right in front of you. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he doesn't ask you once, and he doesn't ask you twice. He asks you three times. It's like three opportunities to go back and right that wrong. Yes, Lord, that's what you say to him. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know, people like to point out uh, that the word that you use for love and the word that Jesus uses for love, they're different words. Uh, But if you go back and look at John's gospel, you'll actually notice that uh, Jesus uses these words for love almost interchangeably. And so someday there are some scholars who are going to make a distinction, but that's not what's going on in this reading. I mean, this isn't a test of your faith if you're Peter. This is a moment of restoration because you failed. You've continued to fail. You messed up. 
But Jesus' message is that there is still a place for you in the kingdom of God, and it goes even deeper than that. Because he's also got work for you to do. Meaning, purpose, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, follow me. Uh, Now, of all the stories that I get to preach on as a pastor, that's these stories, uh, the stories that we encounter right after the resurrection that are some of my favorite. And they're some of my favorite because the disciples, in one sense, finally get it. I mean, Jesus is going to Jerusalem uh, to die and rise again. And so it's not about the miracles. It's not about the parables. It's not about the sermons. It's about God acting decisively once and for all for your salvation. See, in one sense, I love these stories because it's like the disciples finally get it. But in another sense, it's like they're just beginning to figure out. What does it look like to live in a world where Jesus is risen from the dead. The disciples are just beginning to answer that question. That's why uh, this story and and all of these stories that happen right after the resurrection, uh, they're so much like our story. You know, there's uh, there's three things in this story that I want to lift out for you, three things in particular that I, I really want you to notice. You see, the first thing I want you to notice is uh, that the disciples' commissioning to follow Jesus, it doesn't begin in this passage. Their commissioning, it begins about 20 chapters earlier, and there, there are these moments in the Gospels where Jesus calls the disciples and then he even sends them out. But this moment, after the resurrection, this isn't the beginning of their commissioning to follow their Lord. And what strikes me is uh, the same is true for all of us, most of us, all of us here this morning. Our commissioning to follow our Lord most likely doesn't start today. Our commissioning to follow our Lord starts in baptism. For some of us, it happened over there. For others of us, it happened in other places. But our commissioning to follow Jesus started on the day that we were baptized. And yet, just like the disciples, things don't always go according to plan. Sometimes uh, that's the hand we're dealt. Sometimes it's the hand we deal. I mean, that's just the way that sin works. Sometimes it's what we experience. Sometimes it's what we do. But either way, the result is the same. We fail to give witness through our thoughts, our words, and our deeds to our faith in the living Lord. That brings me to the second thing. Uh, that I want to lift out or have you notice in today's reading. Jesus doesn't just commission the disciples to follow them. He also promises to forgive their failures. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon Peter says, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And this is exactly what we do every time that we get together for worship. We do when we come to our Lord and we confess our sins and we hear the promise that he makes to us. There is still a place for you in my kingdom. That's what happens. Uh, It's because of what he's done just a, a few weeks before today's reading. It's because he died and rose for us. But here's the third thing I want you to notice in today's reading. 
And this is the one that surprises me. Jesus doesn't just commission his disciples to follow them. He doesn't just promise to forgive their failures, to forgive their sins. He promises that, that when they fail, when we fail, he's going to commission us again and again and again. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Follow me. See, Jesus isn't simply content to let us shrug our shoulders after the resurrection. He isn't simply content to, to let us go back to life like normal. I mean, he loves us too much to let that happen. Instead, he calls us to bring what we have, to start where we are, and to recognize that he gives everything that we do meaning and purpose. You know, begs the question, at least for me, where has Jesus placed you today? Are you going to be spending time with kids? Are you going to be visiting with other people? Are you going to be getting ready for work? Are you, are you going to be doing homework? See, whatever it is, no matter how mundane or simple it may seem, Jesus commissions you. And then he invites you to recognize that all of your life, everything you do, is material to give witness to him. Now, there's a, a quote about Michael Jordan uh, that I came across this past week uh, when I was preparing this sermon. And, and I know that I've heard it at some point uh, before, but it, it took on new meaning uh, when I heard it in the context of Peter's failure in today's reading. And here's what Michael Jordan says. He says, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I have been entrusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life. And then Jordan says, that is why I succeed. You know, there are a lot of different ways uh, that we could, uh, we could take this message, a lot of different ways that, that maybe even we shouldn't. Uh, but in the context of today's reading and the reality that our commissioning and God's forgiveness always go hand in hand, I heard it in a new way. Because we're going to fall short and yet every time we do, uh, God promises to forgive our failures, and then he promises to commission us yet again, bringing only what we have, starting right where we are, and recognizing that he is the one who gives our life everything that we do, meaning and purpose. May God grant you that awareness as you go out in his name and give witness. Amen. And I may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. This time I invite you to rise as uh, we go on.